0: Sweden, the quotas are not even like, you don't have to have it, 60, 40 or 50, 50 women, men, uh, authors in your curriculum, you know, in the reading list. They count the number of pages. So if you're assigning 1,600 pages in a graduate course from male authors, then you have to assign 1,600 pages from female authors. That's the level of madness. And, and I'm sorry to use this word, this is madness.
1: Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro, and with me is Ricky Orpike. Ricky, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you going? Pretty good, Ricky. Now, people, they're, they're, I feel like there's a there's a thirst out there for you know people want to know more about us. They want to know about what's going on behind the scenes, personal stuff. Yeah, there is, isn't there? You've you've been out, you've been out with a couple of people, and they've gone, why do you you know give us a bit? They're hungry, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. All right. Well, I thought I'd start. Um, I got fired. So yeah, you did. I did. I got fired um, from a job, and um, now, can you believe that, Ricky? Me, they fired me. I'm a peach. You know, you don't throw away. I, I am,
0: I,
2: yeah, I am surprised.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, this does. There is a point to this. So, <laughs> basically, basically, you know, I mean, sure. I talked back to everyone, and I was suddenly stalking around and whatever. But I was always on time. You know, that is
2: good. Yeah. so
1: you know is it but, because you're a turf well i, I don't know I, I think it's because i'm just a bit rock and roll a bit dangerous you know you're a bit, bit oh yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway the point if of, they only knew how boring you really are yes i know they could have just asked me but the point is uh this pertains to today's guest uh because Umut, and uh, now he, Umut's last name is going to kill us today so <laughs> he's just got to come to terms with the fact that we are horrible parochials Umut uh Rimli, who's written a fantastic book called cancelled now the reason i, I mentioned uh, 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 my little story there was because you know if you i think everyone should have a big think because if you think that you might have slipped into you might be conservative like hard-bitten conservative at heart i would encourage you to work for a hard right organization and I you will be disabused of 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 it, I think, or oh, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe I think it'll be a good litmus test for you if you fit in. you uh, you still working there? Uh, but if you're like me, out on your ass, Ricky.
2: yeah, well, I think I think there's we're living in strange times because we've kind of forgotten what what left and right used to be about, you know, and then when you when you engage a little bit deeper with with someone, who might be very conservative or, or an organization like yourself um mm. engaging with a very conservative organization you go hang on a minute like yeah sure that they're, they're, they're not into the whole trans thing but they're, they're not into anything else i'm into you know they don't care <laughs> about art they don't care about movies so it's,
1: it's pretty boring well you know your words but uh i'm not uh disputing so, uh, anyway, I just thought that that'd be a nice little taste for people. They want to know more, so let's give them more, I say. But um, today's guest, uh, Umut Oskarimli, uh, fantastic. I think he's going to challenge uh, some of our listeners in different ways because he's he's taken it to some people who we've interviewed and I look forward to hearing yes, all about he that. he
2: absolutely hates some of the people that we've spoken to. <laughs> well, which is great, which is good, by the way. It is good because we want to be the home for... Everyone, really. Well, what we don't want to be is an echo chamber, you know. So we, we talk to anyone who's interesting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: so if you haven't been on the show,
2: you're a bore. that's (laughs) that's, what <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's what <laughs> oh, Okay. Well, we always tell you the truth here at the new flesh podcast. And the truth is that we need your help. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about the show you liked, or perhaps one that you didn't. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool. So please tell all of your friends, if they don't listen, are they really your friends? And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me a Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now, on with the show.
1: Umut Rimli is a senior research fellow at IBEI, which is the Institut Barcelona de Estudis Internacionales, a professor, a professor at Blanquerna Ramon Lull University and a senior research associate at uh, Barcelona Center for International Affairs. He is also the academic director of the Barcelona Summer School of the Mediterranean and the Middle East. He is the author of the acclaimed Theories of Nationalism, a critical introduction currently in its third edition. His writings appear frequently in The Guardian, Open Democracy, Time higher education huffington post al jazeera and among others his most recent book is cancelled the left way back from woke which is here to talk about uh with us today Umit, welcome to the new flesh well thank you for
0: inviting me it's my first uh, podcast with a down under <laughs>
1: <laughs> well welcome uh thank you thank you for agreeing to come on the show because as your book makes uh, clear we've interviewed some people that uh shall we say you disagree with strongly
0: yeah, I've seen that. I mean, uh I let me just start by saying i uh, apologizing for my voice because yeah, just I I just I was traveling the last week the whole time, so I guess I got this new variant of COVID. Uh so my voice is a bit cracked, but uh <clears throat> uh yeah, I've seen it. I mean, um the the list that you offered me was pretty in my view right-wing. Uh, <laughs> uh, then again, I mean that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you've read the book. You know, I don't, I'm not someone who is um, opposed to dialogue and talking through different political fences and all of that. Uh, but then I also saw when I went to your podcast, <clears throat> uh, the, the page, that you interviewed quite a few of people like me. Uh, heterodox leftists, uh, people with, you know, progressive credentials. I just finished David Swift actually last night. <laughs> which was really oh, interesting
1: really great really great mm. conversation yeah. it was it was so so rewarding what a, what a fascinating perspective he's got
2: yeah well, well he he reminded me of what the left used to be about you know i I think i'd forgotten that over the last few years
0: well well uh i'm telling you i i have forgotten about it i actually you know i don't i don't even I mean, that's the reason why I've written the book. I mean, you you, you have your questions, we'll come back to that. But there, there is no such thing as left today, I'm telling you. Maybe, uh, as you said to David in that podcast, there's like the old school Marxist, a tiny minority of people who are still around and trying to fight the good fight. Uh, but otherwise, there's nothing. Because, you know, what passes as left, and this identitarian left, that. It's not left, it's Stalinism a la 21st century. Uh, I, I don't consider that as left. I mean, you know, that there's no... Can you imagine a progressive ideology which is not open to self-criticism, to science, to dissent, uh, looking for conformity, looking for imposing its own values on the rest of society? What is
2: that? Well, before we leave our guests there, uh, John and I talk about this all the time. Is there anyone you wouldn't platform uh, or sit across the table with?
0: Well, I mean, um, I would prefer not to sit across the table with, uh, I don't know, like, I mean, the demagogues like Milo Yiannopoulos, et cetera, uh, fellow academics and stuff, you know, Eric Kaufman that you interviewed. uh, I mean, he was a classmate of mine. We grew up together, you know, we studied together. I would sit across the table. I, I do think that he, he has very dangerous ideas, but I, I also know that we can I can discuss with him. The only people that I would try to avoid, I think, would be people like, I don't know, uh like real kind of far right figures. Uh or believe it or not, I guess I, I mentioned this in my email to you when we were exchanging it. And like I I don't think I would like to sit in the same table with Owen Jones and Billy Bragg.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Wow. I would—I really want to get Owen on the show, actually. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you did, or you—you no, to? No, I would like to because because I saw an, inter- a, a, an interview that he did with uh, Ashley Frawley, yeah, and, um, which was which was fascinating.
0: Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, and and the Owen Jones of ten years ago is a very different guy than he is today. I mean, this whole trans issue—you know—I've changed the balances tilted. The balance is in such a, I mean, uh, enormous but also kind of skewed way that we have a warped understanding. I mean, when I see him on Jeremy Wine Show in the morning when he speaks about cancel culture and all, um, honestly, he sounds to me like a demagogue. I mean, mean, this is a well-educated, very articulate, good writer and all of that. So, you know, why would I try to change the mind of someone who is determined uh to I mean about his views, but also kind of prepared to spread the message to the masses, you know that doesn't seem to be a good use of my time uh but otherwise, I would sit around the table with pretty much anyone as long as there's you know my my kind of red line is is incitement to violence, uh open racism, anti-Semitism, you know phobia, but not the way they define it. Because what is homophobia and transphobia has become one of the most contested issues in our times. Um, so that that would be the only uh, catch. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm I'm doing an event in London with Free Speech Union, uh, whose political stance I don't approve of, but they given me a platform. I've written to them and I said, "Look, uh, am I able to speak freely, uh, like my mind?" They said, "Yes." Do you know that? I mean, just just be aware that I may criticize free speech unions' biased approach to cancel culture because they don't they don't criticize when cancellations come from the right, say against pro Palestine views, pro Black Lives Matters views, et cetera, et cetera. They said yes, and they even said it it would be good for our audience to hear someone who thinks differently. Now, this should have been this should be coming from the left.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We talk about this a lot, actually. I feel like a, yeah. Uh, I think about twenty years ago, uh, you know, because because it, it, particularly because you mentioned that it's an event that you're going to. I always think about the idea of going to a writers' festival like twenty years ago, and the types of different people that would have been there writing different books. There'd be yeah, there'd be conservative sort of agitators, and there'd be Gonzo journalists, and all these different kinds of kinds of people all coming together. And and you didn't feel the need to, I don't know, make sure like. Any one of them never worked again. That uh, they were doxxed and their lives, their family lives, were destroyed. I, I never had that impulse. Like I never went to uh, I, I talk and went. Oh, geez, now what I got to do is I got to get home and make sure I destroy that person's life for the book they wrote.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know that probably because I haven't written about it. But I mean, like the book was announced uh, on the thirty first of March in in the UK. Polity put the tweet out um and then there was a uh, kind of a marketing thing uh they published the book at the same i mean they published two books on the same topic at the same time the left is not Walk by susan Neyman, who is also a, a left wing pro, progressive philosopher we are very different because she defends an, a back to enlightenment kind of type of thing whereas i think that Identity politics still has some things to say. Not in the way it, it is today, but I mean it used to be. Uh, and within within a couple of hours, not even a day, the woke people, the woke academics, have called a boycott on Politi for publishing anti woke books. Uh, and I said to them, I replied because I have quite some following on Twitter. Said, look, as far as I know you haven't read the book, you couldn't have, because you were not on the reviewer's list. I'm talking about two uh, well-known, I mean, one is the, the Cambridge historian, Priyamvada Gopal, the other one was, a, a, she's at the University of Sydney, Alana Lentine. She's She works on critical race theory and all of them. They said that using the term unwoke in the title of the book, back from woke and canceled, is serving to a genocidal project. The book is not, you've read it, the book is not about the transition. I mean, yes, of course, race and gender are used as examples, obviously, but it's, it has nothing to say. And, and the only thing that I say about J.K. Rowling is that you can't burn books, that's it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, the, the, the title of the book was enough for people with hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter to call in a boycott on an independent left publisher who is also publishing critical race theory, transgender uh, rights, books on transgender rights and all of that. It's, it's, it's at the level of, of caricature right now. You know, it's like only the problem is with real life consequences. What if polity didn't have the backbone and cancel the book? Well, I, I actually wanted to read the blurb of your book to give our audience a bit of an introduction to it and maybe to to,
2: to kick the conversation along as well because I think it sums up the current political situation quite nicely. So uh, right now, someone somewhere is being cancelled. Uh, off-the-cuff tweets or harmless office banter have the potential to wreck lives. The left condemns the right and the bigotry uh, of the... Old elites. The right complains about brain dead political correctness and the erosion of liberal values. In reala- reality, both sides are colluding in a reactionary, exclusionary politics that is as self defeating as it is divisive. Can the left escape this extremism and stay true to the progressive ideals it once professed? Where did this book come from? And and would you mind giving us maybe a little bit bit of a deeper insight into your into your background?
0: Yeah, I mean. It's both personal and political. Uh, I mean, uh, I wouldn't have written a book. Uh, or, I mean, this is my first trade book. I mean, a book that I've written for a larger audience. I I published six books before. Um, one of them you mentioned, it's a textbook on nationalism, which is, I mean, which have been in print for 23 years now. You know, it's very popular and all. So I come from the study of nationalism as a political scientist. And I come from a left-wing tradition. I was raised by a Marxist father, uh, uh, which is, you know, uh, before 1980s, it wasn't such an oddity in Turkey. I mean, we, you know, it was a strong left-wing tradition. Things have changed after the coup d'etats, and and of course, in the last 20 years, Turkey has become a really kind of authoritarian Islamist uh, regime. Um, So it was my own kind of tribe. So to speak, my political tribe, uh, and then there's a personal aspect of it, and and they they kind of converged uh, around 2018, um, as you probably know from I mean it's mentioned in the book. Uh, I was living in Sweden, so I was I was actually exposed to the some of the worst aspects of woke um the other day when i was listening to ashley you asked her whether canada was the wokest country in the world and she said canada and new zealand maybe well i'll add this to this list sweden uh not denmark and norway narcissism of minor differences the freudian and it's it's a really huge i mean denmark is not as woke as sweden or norway and norway is no, but there's a huge difference between these countries, the Anglo-Saxon uh, immigrant societies and, and Scandinavian Nordic ones. Swedes would not accept at their walk they're closed closet walks you know to use the words from sexuality and all of that. They're really hypocrites like they would ad- advertise a position they would uh, for they won't say it's affirmative action they won't establish a quota for women but then if meritocracy dictates that a man gets the position, they withdraw the position. We were not, I mean, yes, and it happened several times. You know, I can give you so many examples. There's a famous Judith Butler incident in Sweden. A political scientist, Eric Ringmar, uh, was teaching a course. This was the beginning of the era of decolonizing the curriculum. He was teaching a course. I knew him from Nationalism Studies. We we were at the LSE at the same time. Um, He was teaching a course on interwar period. But for some reason, and he was forced to include some you know, the gender balance, etc. into his curriculum, he added a reading from Judith Butler to his curriculum. Not that he thought it would be very helpful, but you know, there was a lot of administrative pressure and all of that. And the students complained about it. They said they don't understand it. (laughs) Uh, and, And they can't see the relation of Judith Butler's text with interwar period history. So the following year, he took it off his syllabus. What happened was, at the end of a protracted process, he had to leave Lund University because of these pressures and all of that. Now, and he wrote a book about this. Unfortunately, it's only in Swedish, but they did an interview with Judith Butler, I think I should say now themselves, because she, uh, they changed their pronouns recently. And even Judith Butler said, no, that's not, you know, the way you, you, you act. In Sweden, the quotas are not even like, you don't have to have a, a 60, 40 or 50, 50 women, men, uh, authors in your curriculum, you know, in the reading list. They count the number of pages. So if, if the number, yeah, so if you're assigning 1,600 pages in a graduate course from male authors, then you have to assign 1,600 pages from female authors. That's the level of madness. And, and I'm sorry to use this word, this is madness. You know. <laughs> but what, what if one author is much more concise than the other one? I mean, it's so stupid. Some, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're... you know, am I going to sit there and count the number of pages that I assign as readings? Let's just start with that. Words, number of w- words. Words. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, what is this like kind of, you know, so I was cooking in Sweden. Uh, but I was too busy because, you know, I had a little son who uh, had a very um, malign and rare form of, of childhood cancer, neuroblastoma. So I've spent four, four and a half years fighting this disease in different parts of the world. Uh, and when I lost him, when I lost, we lost him in, in July 2018, I decided first to take a leave, a sabbatical. And it was also, you know, uh, related to psychological issues. So uh, I was on medical leave as well. And I came to Spain and and the idea was to write a book on the far right and populism, you know, because I work on nationalism. It seemed to me to be the logical next step. What is the relationship of nationalism? What type of nationalism uh, we have to have in order to get these votes going to people like Trump, I don't know, Meloni and all of that. So yeah, you know, that was the idea that I had in mind. But then I was canceled. I was canceled by, a. Uh, uh, everything is in the public domain, the legal process has been over. Uh, so I can say it very easily, but it was a bogus me too case. Uh, a person I had a relationship with outside academia, uh, just, you know, accused me of some sort of Uh, stalking so it wasn't sexual harassment or anything like that Uh, I had to fight it legally and she was convicted of defamation on uh, out of you know seven out of 11 counts the process is over Um, so I wasn't cancelled I survived but the point is I survived because I had a lot of documents that could prove that I was innocent and and I went I had to spend thousands of euros to prove that I was innocent in two countries, by the way, because the Turkish government jumped on these allegations to, to say that I was a terrorist as well. Uh, so I became a terrorist pervert overnight. Uh, then I realized that the people who were attacking me were not only the Islamists, the right wing, but people from, I thought, belonged to my tribe. And these were these included a substantial number of my friends who could have just sent me a text message and asked me, Umut, we know you, you've never had anything in your life, like any, I mean, you've been in academia for 25 years, squeaky clean record, what happened? Just tell us, no. we just signaling on Twitter, outrage mobs, and I became a trending topic on Turkish Twitter for a day. Uh, I lost, nobody wanted to represent me legally because I was too toxic uh it took me 6 months to publish some documents on in the like on a blog and then a victory a legal victory in sweden to come across the other side of the wall and then i said okay there's something terribly wrong here uh this is not the left this is not the progressive i didn't want to write a memoir i didn't want to write about my own personal history uh it's nobody's else, no, no one's business. Maybe I will one day, but, but that's not the, that wasn't my point. I wanted to show that there's something fundamentally, let's use Shakespeare, rotten in the state of the left today, in the kingdom of the left, so-called left. So that's how the book came into being. And, and as I said in the prologue, I mean, I used Alice uh, in the Wonderland and, and the rabbit hole. You know, I fell in the rabbit hole and I climbed back.
2: One one thing that confuses me a little bit Umut, about about your your cancellation and this hashtag Me Too, I've uh, now I've been led to believe that the torch of the patriarchy burns brightest in majority Muslim countries. So in in Turkey, I mean, couldn't couldn't you just laugh the allegation off and go back to high fiving all the other men in the corporate boardroom, you know? Or, or or has Turkey
0: gone woke as well? But I was having a, a Zoom meeting with. The famous, the historical, the first uh, of its kind, Alan Sokal, of the Sokal affair of 1996. You know, who exposed the who sent a hoax article to uh, Uh, the the social the original
1: hoaxer, yes, the
0: original hoax, the 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 hoax. He he you know he happened to read my book and and we started to to have a conversation about this and then we decided to meet. So we had a very long conversation. It was amazing, you know. It was like talking to a legend uh, because he's done it before. Uh, Helen Pluckrose, James Lindsay, and uh, Peter Bogosian, you know, he's done the first thing. And and the people he outed were Derrida, Lacan, uh, Julia Kristeva, you know, Irigaray, etc. All these people who were using mathematical theories that made no sense, basically. And as a mathematician and physician, he saw through all of these things. So one of the things that I told him is that uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I live in Spain. I mean, after Sweden, I, I haven't lived in, in Turkey for almost 15 years now. So we are very much focused on the debates and what's going on in Anglo-Saxon countries. We are interested in US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, obviously. But we don't uh, know about the repercussions or the butterfly effect of these discussions in other countries. So the Turkey is right now, I checked the figures for this podcast. In 2022, uh, 392 women were killed by men and another 226 are unaccounted for. We don't know who killed them. Basically, this is the highest number of femicide among OECD countries. In a country where a woman is officially killed by a man of often domestic partners, uh, the Turkish government, the chief prosecutor of the government of Turkey, uh, started an investigation about nine tweets which were naming me within 24 hours. And uh, because, you know, later on, my lawyer spoke to the prosecutor. She told us that she received a call from Ankara and they said, kill him you know take him in 24 hours nine tweets no names no concrete accusations the accusations were overturned within three months and turkey does not have any jurisdiction over these issues because all of these things happen in sweden so on the one hand you have this real you know you always talk about the 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 contra you know the tension between the cultural symbolic left identity politics and the real material concerns of people, working classes, women, LGBTQ people, yes. In a country where there's so many femicides, these things happen. Mexico, Mexico, the country which, which has the highest rate of femicides in the world. A children's books author, Armando Vega Gil, committed suicide after a bogus Me Too allegations on Twitter for uh she was he was accused of pedophilia the tweet was fake there was no accusation there was no crime but it was already late he had committed suicide this is the, the i'm giving these kind of extreme examples because of this you know uh so it took the government to start an investigation about me 24 hours only to decide so, um, so much of taxpayers money was was spent on translating documents sending them to Sweden back and forth and then it took us 2 years to close down that investigation imagine the amount of and and in this country you know there is a small group of people who call themselves progressives feminists LGBTQ rights supporters who were kind of trying to cancel me because you know it was Turkey's academias me too moment which obviously wasn't Uh, And and you know what happened after that? After my cancellation was over in six months, it's been three years now, and no women are daring to go public and accuse the real accusers. Because we know that in 80% of the cases, the MeToo allegations are correct. We have the examples of Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, you know, lots of things. They're scared because they created an effect, a liar, very similar to the case of Amber Heard, Johnny Depp. Uh, all of a sudden, now, who benefited from this? Certainly not that person. I didn't lose my job. I was able to survive. But what about other women who are being, literally now, being subject to domestic abuse?
1: Well, that's the real uh, trick, isn't it? The As you've said, the the, the rub between these The symbols, the modern left and and uh, material change. but, the, but the, this this whole topic uh, that you cover in your book, the changing focus of the left from this is just one aspect of it, uh, from from in some aspects from class, into into race and gender, uh, along with the predictable and endless infighting uh, that comes with it. Uh, no one fights uh, themselves like they do on the left. And I got to say, uh, Umut, I'm I'm not angry anymore. Uh, yeah. I'm simply I'm simply broken hearted. You know, I find I find yeah. it all incredible. I am so, and this is something that I couldn't picture someone on the right ever saying. How broken hearted and sad they are about about their tribe. You know what I mean? Have you yeah. Have you been through this phase?
0: Oh yeah. I'm. I'm. I feel upset. I feel. A huge despair, but also um and maybe that is why my situation, my my I mean, I was able to write the book that I've written, which is, you know, as you know, it's it's provocative because I don't mince my words, because I also I'm also angry. I feel a rage. I feel a rage towards people who've done this, despite warnings for several years. I mean, Alan Sokal did his hoax in nineteen ninety-six. Martin Uspam wrote The Paradox of uh, the Professor of Parody in 1996 and exposed Judith Butler's for feminism and how uh, this would actually affect badly, would have negative consequences on, on on feminism, you know, feminist activism. 96, you know, all these examples that I give in the book, it's we didn't listen to them. I've also blamed myself because I was. I was never part of the tribe in the sense of you know I didn't have any political allegiance with them, but I it was my own you know uh, group of people. I didn't see how nasty, petty and narcissistic they could turn if the circumstances suited them. you know we're assuming uh, DeSantis and Trump and all right-wing political actors for pursuing a personal agenda, which is true obviously but what about left-wing, so-called intellectuals and activists? Uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time discussing this dynamic between victims and perpetrators. It's not the same anymore. Is, 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 is a tenured white uh, trans activist professor, trans or cis, whatever that means, is is it really around the receiving end of the power kind of binary? I mean, all, all women who are attacking gender-critical feminists or JK Rowling today are themselves white. Uh, I mean, there are the stories of small people. I mean, uh, the, the, Laura Favaro, who published um, uh, the findings of the first-ever academic research on gender wars in times higher education last year on the 15th of September, we are approaching the anniversary, she lost her job in one week and she lost access to her own data because she wasn't, I mean, I was a senior professor, okay? So I could defend myself also because I had lots of, you know, uh, documents to prove my own case. But if I didn't have these documents, I would have been lost too. But the point is at least I was a man, this and that. What about a junior female colleague who who, who who has a precarious job? She's a mother of two kids She's trying to, you know, with her husband, she's trying to, you know, because we become friends now, uh, she's, she's trying to make ends meet because she's unemployed. Why? Because two full-tenured professors attacked her publicly on Twitter. Right after my book was published, people who haven't read it, well, they couldn't have read it because it was published six hours ago, they called a boycott on polity saying that my book is promoting genocidal uh, intents and stuff like that against transgender people. And as you have read the book, you know that the book is not on this.
2: Do you think they've made a conflation between the word woke and anti-trans or something now? I mean, is yeah. woke, is that, has that now morphed into anti-trans?
0: I told another um, uh, a friend, a podcaster who was from Brooklyn, an African-American self-defined woke, I told him, actually that the term woke has been hijacked twice. Once, I mean, there was the original woke of the black you know, movement, uh, even predates Black Lives Matters, by the way, against police brutality. And, and they said, stay woke. I mean, that's a simple non-violent call. Be you know, prudent, just, just be aware of what's, what can happen and all of that. Then it was hijacked by the right, uh, as a synonym for political correctness but then it was hijacked again by self-professed progressives to describe a certain kind of identity politics which is individualistic narcissistic and also absolutist i mean you know the position of the woke left today is the stonewall thing like no debate i'm telling you who i am woman uh um, I don't know, uh, indigenous, you know, that the hoax cases of these case, like Rachel Dolezal, et cetera, et cetera, and you have to accept it. I mean, from the most relativistic uh, philosophy, postmodernism, uh, emerged a completely dogmatic moral absolutism. It's my way or the highway. Uh, so, you know, I'm not supposed to, like, we're not talking about trans rights here. Because nobody that I've seen, and I've been, I met quite a few, and I'm now, you know, exchanging uh, letters and, and emails and, and work w- with them. None of the g- gender critical feminists I've, that I met and are, are retweeting me and all of that, uh, admi- you know, reject that trans rights are rights. Of course they are. What is at stake here is not that. There's a conflict of interests. Uh, and then what you do, you know, uh, we've reached a stage where we cannot easily or simply define the term woman. If we reach that stage, I think we need to stop and think: What are we doing? Cover this.
2: Well, speaking of women, I, I think the problem problems with the modern left are illustrated nicely in your book with the exploration of of two women's marches
0: in the in the United States. Can Can you talk us through this? Yes, I mean, I've, I've done that was a stylistic trick. I mean, I, I like writing and, and this book was kind of quite, quite, quite good in the sense that it, it I mean, because I, I left all the academic straight straitjackets aside and, and because I, I'm, I'm used to writing, I was contributing to The Guardian until I became toxic myself between 2018 and 20. um, And I like this kind of way of personalistic style. So I thought, okay, let me just not you know suffocate people with jargon and all these kind of discussions that you know 52 types of gender and all let me just actually start with a real life example a story which shows what i'm going to argue in the chapter now the woman's watch was, was one of the best examples of this the first woman's march in washington woman's march on washington in uh, to, 2017 after trump's election was the biggest, largest uh, march in the history of United States. And that was established by reliable, non-woke, Harvard academics, MIT academics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, soon after the march, well actually even during the organization process, but soon after it, it, the identity politics came in and then people were divided according to different identity categories, pink pussy hats. Oh, you know, what about transgender women who don't have a a uterus? Uh, What about uh, uh, people of color who don't have a pink pussy? What about knitting, which is itself a colonial practice? My God, you know, I had to check this through history books to find out that that it really was that. And and I mean, the only connection you can find that is, yeah, white colonial uh, settlers women were using knitting. Yes, fine. Um uh so this starts with that. And then the organizers. Oh, they're anti-Semitist. They participated in events of the Nation of Islam of Louis Farrakhan. These are activists. They go everywhere. Why shouldn't they go to Louis Farrakhan's, you know, uh meetings? Because that's where you find the working class, some of the working class black people. Um and, and we're talking, by the way, about an organizi- organizing committee which consists of black people, indigenous people, a Muslim, I do of them is straight. So this is the most diverse, uh, according to the manual of DEI, organizing committee, you can imagine. Talks, attacks, infighting, all of these things. A year after, double the number of participants. A year after, nobody comes. The last time I checked, because also the pandemic uh, interfered, I think in 2021 or 2022, it was only 8,000 people. So identity politics killed a movement. Uh, another story that I use is, of course, Black Lives Matter. I mean, Black Lives Matter itself, that's something that I learned. This was positive, a, a positive discovery of my research. Uh, Some of the management of the movement, in particular Alicia Garza, are aware of the problems with Black Lives Matter. They know that some of their claims are too much for a certain segment of the population, i.e. defund the police. They're also aware that they could not control Antifa's violence. Because they they were not you know they didn't have a centralized organization, so the local chapters were the ones who were you know doing these things, and there are also lies that we 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 discover actually like you know you might recall maybe you already covered the famous Berkeley protests when Milo Yiannopoulos tried to go there. Uh, That was for instance it wasn't Antifa it was right wing protesters who dressed like Antifa people basically to claim, to blame them, etc. So Black Lives Matter also realized that the hashtag movements, you call it, I mean, that's the, the, the moment I heard, I think Rick, it was you, that some, some one of you calling the mash, hashtag MeToo, he said, okay, these guys, I'm talking to them. No way, because, you know, I've done a lot of work on Me Too for personal reasons, but also the real Me Too is nothing like that. The real MeToo of Tarana Burke is not a hashtag movement. There is no organization. They just have refugee centers for women, for battered kids. They're doing activism. That's it. That's the only thing they're doing. But nobody knew about Me Too until Alyssa Milano came up with the hashtag in 2017, which is really sad. So what happened to Me Too now, it became a witch hunt in, in a lot of cases. And of course, in in, in certain cases, because of this witch hunt, some real criminals got through the got through the cracks. Links, I'm, I'm pretty kind of suspicious. I'm I'm not going to be commenting on a legal case, but I have to say that I'm quite uh, kind of suspicious when it comes to Brett Kawana, for instance. But we didn't have a chance to fairly judge this person because it was all over the culture wars.
2: We've had a similar similar case in Australia, quite high profile, where. Um, where a lady, uh, a young young lady, accused uh, someone of of rape inside of Parliament House, and that's turned into a total debacle. Where you know, it didn't even get a fair trial for the the guy that was accused, and and I guess the wash up is that we don't really know what what
0: what happened. So no, we don't we don't know. I mean, and and we're not always lucky to get a, a live kind of. I mean, we watched the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case live. You know, we had the kind of, I mean, it was, it was a great experiment because at least we could decide for ourselves, like the jury who was sitting there. And I mean, you can see how toxic that, that relationship was on both ends and heavy substance abuse and everything. And I mean, and, and it's very clear that if Amber Heard had not accused Johnny Depp of physical violence and rape, she would have won because, you know, we've read the messages that he sent her i want to burn your body dump you in a whatever sewage and all of that but when when someone claims that you know she's been raped with a broken whiskey glass and then there is the picture of that whiskey bottle intact provided by your own attorneys the following day then you realize and i mean you know this is also something was very kind of uh, personal to me the divorce money that she was supposed to donate to uh, los angeles children's hospital where my son received treatment was never donated i mean such a such a simple lie like it took one phone call to 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 basically find out that this money was not donated ever so so obviously the guy walks free even though he might be a psychological abuser. We don't know. We didn't have a chance to, to discuss any of these issues.
1: But don't you think this this hyperbole and uh, uh, playing fast and loose with the truth has plagued this the, the the left in recent times on Black Lives Matter, for instance, like some of the claims that are made are just really tough to take. You know what I mean? Like about, uh, you know, you want, you want to talk about about police violence you want to talk about crime and can we talked to we've talked we've spoken to people about this that the the there are elements of of that movement that that will not face up to black on black crime for instance they will not face up to like actual numbers which are bad the numbers are bad but they're not what they want them to be or it could just be um the what's called in some circles sort of the the um uh the the, the want of nazis in in america like the desperate need for nazis and they're just it's just not there they're not there they're you know what i mean not in the way that the left wants them to be but 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 that's just tiny examples of of hyperbole that have have made these people come across as as completely unhinged and meanwhile we're getting further and further away from building schools and helping people and making material change
0: Look, I mean, and and, I mean, this is the reason why, I mean, I I still stick to the the kind of label left because, you know, you've discussed this with your various uh, uh, guests. It is about class, right? It's about neoliberalism, uh, income inequalities and all of that. I mean, like if you want to talk about women's rights, why don't we talk about Iran, what's going on there or Afghanistan or Turkey? Why aren't we talking about, for instance, you know, and this example is used in the book. You, uh, uh, the critique of, of like, okay, if you look at the numbers, there is a difference between the household income of blacks and whites. Five, uh, the white families are five times more um, earn five times more than blacks. It's getting better throughout the years, throughout sixties, but it's still there's still a gap. Which can be explained by institutional racism, by lots of other factors. But what we're not offered is the inequality within the black community. Because when you look at the numbers, and I'm not talking about like random, S, I mean Pew research or Gallup or the national statistics, you see that the Black Wealth, 70% of the Black Wealth, is owned by a few families: Obama's, Ofra Winfrey, Beyoncé. <laughs> So it's not, I mean, you know, you don't have equality within the black community either. Uh, and what do you do with, for instance, the Latinos who vote for Trump? What about the Asians who are super achievers, uh, higher achievers, you know, at least in, in terms of, so there, it's, these things are complicated. That's why I kind of, you know, tried to find, uh, I mean, what, what I wanted to do with the book was not only to just repeat the criticisms that lots of you know other people have done before or after me but i wanted to suggest something as well like constructive i know that it's not perfect i know that it's incomplete but at least you know i i looked for and and i discovered that there is this race class narrative that a lot of people now are using uh which kind of combines these two things like cultural recognition and economic needs uh and they give this message to voters of both Trump and Biden, and they saw that people understand the message. Now, whether they end up voting for Trump or not is another question. And we're not in a position to, to question this if we are for democracy. OK, I mean, you might just want a philosopher king, but that's another discussion. Uh, but, but the point is, you know, there, there are things that that are being done. We don't see these things. And instead, we discuss, yeah, I mean, that's that's I think that's what brings all three of us together. We discuss pronouns. I mean, I was logging into your sites and I see my name and then pronouns, and I said,
1: <laughs> everyone, <laughs> "Everyone hates this. Squadcast is it, yes. If you're I know. Here, I, I I can guess you that it wasn't this. News. The, 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 this this app. Everyone on the right and left hates this. Uh, they get on and they look at it and they just go." You know, uh, uh, in Norm- Norman Finkelstein's got a great quote. I'm going to swear now in his book. Yeah. He says, "When I, um, you know, when I see pronouns, uh, you know, my first in- instinct is to say, fuck you.'" you oh know?
0: yeah, it was my first, it's my first instinct too, and I was <laughs> tempted to write "fuck" as pronouns. <laughs> and then yes. I said, "I mean, I know Good these enough. guys. Like, like I did listen to their podcast. I know that it's not them. You know." If you were them, like, and, and if you're true believers in that, again, you know, I am on of the be kind kind of brigade. I mean, I wouldn't sure. reject, I, I call Judith Butler they them because that's what they want. Okay, fine. But the point is, what if I make a mistake? Am I going to lose my job? Because that happens sometimes.
2: Mm, definitely. Yes, definitely.
0: Like, I mean, and that's, <laughs> that's the part uh, of, of, you know, I do ask in my class, I, I like I teach undergrad students in, in Spain, okay? The Catalan bourgeoisie, 19, 20 year olds. I also teach in ma- ma- uh, master levels, but the first years I like teaching them because they, they are the generation Z. They're the, the generation about whom Jonathan Hyde and Greg Lukianoff have written their book, The Cuddling of the American Mind and all. It's amazing. I mean, you know, they're, they're really different and they're, they're different. I'm, I'm generation X. So, you know, there, there's like a gap, huge gap. And I tell them in my first class, look, guys and gals, I'm not going to ask your pronouns and I'm not going to censor myself in this class. So all I ask you to do is if something that I say or the pronoun issue makes you uncomfortable, come and tell me and I'll fix it. Don't grunt to the dean or write this petition or send a tweet and take a picture uh, and then say, uh, you know, Umut said,
1: Uh, But Umut, can't you just this is this is a good work jitsu move? Can't you just say, "Oh, I'm Turkish." Uh, Like there are other ways of knowing, you know, and sort of go down that route. Use your, you know, your background as a bit of a shield. There, you could just say, you know, actually, I'm the minority here, and you should be apologizing. I don't want to.
0: I didn't want to. Uh, I could, Uh, but I don't want to. Look, I'll give you a funny thing. I don't know what, uh, I don't think many people in Catalonia will listen to this. I use that trick when I'm talking about the Spain Catalan issue, you know, the independence, because yes. it's so sensitive. I say, oh, I'm a foreigner, I don't understand. And like, it's not very credible because I'm, I'm a scholar of nationalism, okay? So I'm supposed to know this. But I still say, yeah, but you know, I'm not from here, so I don't know this. No, but in this <laughs> issue, I didn't want to do that. I mean, all this whiteness crap, uh, like, I'm Caucasian, right? Mm, I mean, at least by the looks of it. I pass as Mediterranean uh, in Greece, Italy, or here in Spain. I mean, nobody thinks that I'm, you know, they speak to me in Spanish or in Catalan immediately. But I lived in Sweden. I'm a Swedish citizen. Uh, I I raised a son in Sweden. There, was I white? I was a professor at at a public university, full tenure, uh, had a center and everything. I have quite some reputation in academic circles. But I was, once I was in the street, I was a blackhead with brown eyes in the, in the, in the country of elves with blonde hair and blue eyes.
1: <laughs> Aryan okay? nation. Yes. Yeah,
0: I, it was an Aryan nation. Now, <laughs> Swedes are quite polite. They, you will never see the racism. You know, it's, there is a lot of it, but it's buried underneath. It's, it's not on the surface but it there is racism i mean or if i go to germany if i go to britain you know i mean i when i was a student and i was using uh i'm going to be slightly politically incorrect here the toilet paper that we call turkish passport uh these days uh i, I was always like without any exception stopped at heathrow gatwick and stansted because i looked non european so Robin D'Angelo will tell me you're white, admit your whiteness and and I mean you know uh and confess your to yourself and all of that. I mean, who are you to tell me that first of all, you're your white white yourself, you know and you i mean, okay, that could get a little bit rude, so let's just um yeah, but i mean you know this this whiteness is is not something I'm a white in Turkey vis-a vis the Kurds, see because you know. There I am the majority and I do derive privileges for being a, an ethnic Turk, whatever that means. Now, as an anti-nationalist, I reject all these categories, but it doesn't matter. It's how people perceive me. But uh, in Sweden, I- I'm not a privileged white. Hmm. Uh, I'm an immigrant. Nobody knows where I'm working. Nobody shouts, it's okay. When I had a very Swedish looking baby with me, fine, it passed. <laughs> Uh, but but otherwise no. So what if you know I come to Australia? What how would I? What would I be a white or not?
1: I don't know. Yeah yeah, mm. I think you'd, you'd probably just you'd fit into the it'd be uh, yeah Greek Italian Australian yes. kind yeah, of. Exactly. yeah exactly something you, like yeah. that yeah. Well well one of the reasons we wanted to get you on the show as well is because your book challenges uh, obviously um, some of the strongly held ideas in the politi- the politically homeless space. Uh, uh, it's also very well written, your book, and I and I, I mean that. Uh, but you know, you take on uh, yeah, Jonathan Haidt and 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 a few other people who've, who've who've sort of been leading this charge. But one of the ideas I wanted you to talk about because this is fascinating. That it, and now, correct me if I'm wrong. The, I think you were saying in the book that, on balance, the right are actually in control of the sort of the economic and political levers, generally speaking, whereas the left has yeah. it has a. Has a disproportionate grip on maybe culture like the media and arts or something mm-hmm. now because i think this idea is quite shocking um particularly because ricky and i are, are interested in in media and arts so it it's the only game in town like if you're interested in media and arts then i tell you what i'm i'm saying my pronouns uh, whereas um <laughs> you know so 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 can you explain how, you know because i don't i think there's a lot of people who won't who won't feel like they agree with you? They'd be like, oh, that can't be true. The left, they've got everything sewn up. Well, I mean, I think it
0: um, depends on the context. See, I mean, uh, if you look at it within the context of the same Anglo-Saxon countries, uh, United States, Canada, uh, United Kingdom, and Australia, I think Australia is a little bit different than New Zealand, for instance. But there, yes, political elites were, uh, I'll use the term that, that uh, gender critical feminists use, policy capture did happen there. I mean, look at just in the Arden, you know, or, you know, uh, Scandinavia countries, definitely, obviously, uh, the squad at, at the United States, the north of United States, and all of that. So, yes, that could be qualified. But if you look at the global picture, the right is very powerful and they also have more money. That's for sure. I mean, uh, other than uh, Soros and maybe Bill Gates Foundation, you would be hard pressed to to find, to, to cite more than 10, okay, maybe Bloomberg. You know, you can count them with your two hands, whereas you have huge amounts of money going into uh, uh, trying to to redress the balance at universities, for instance, with the establishment of Turning Point USA organizations in American universities. Um, I still think that this is more powerful. Uh, and the point though is that what would, what, uh, and, and I think, you know, what I was thinking there is, of course, not only political election results, which brings to power people like Meloni, Orban, Erdoğan, Putin, so on and so forth, and and uh, I would wager and to say that it will be Trump and Jean-Marie Le Pen uh, in the next couple of years as well. Um, so there is this populist wave that the so-called left is feeding by not doing anything or by antagonizing people for simply not using the right pronouns or this and that. Uh, And economically, uh, the money that the left has is being misused. I mean, again, I'll give you an example from a non-Western context. All the European money that came to, for instance, LGBTQ rights in uh, Turkey, for instance, or other uh, Middle Eastern countries, they have been kind of uh, swapped, absorbed by a number of institutions which basically use the money to increase their own power like Stonewall, rather than build a trans uh, refuge, for instance. I know several examples of it firsthand from the people involved in the process. So it's like the power holders. Um, But things are changing, you're right. I mean, uh, one would have also questioned the opposite argument. Like, uh, if I say that the, 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 the cultural sphere domain is more controlled by the left, then one would come and say, yeah, but look at Rupert Murdoch Empire and, and, and Fox News, where 80% of Trump voters are getting their information from. So then, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a generalization, which is relatively okay, but as you said, it needs to be qualified. It's a good point. I, would, I wouldn't object to it strongly, for instance. And I think, by the way, in the next, as I said, in the next five, 10 years, The domination of the world will be complete because the world is losing right now you mentioned trump and and
2: some more populist politicians there and um i I recently read a book by helen pitt about the history of the sydney opera house which which i'd recommend everyone check out it's really interesting but one thing that struck me was that the majority of australian politicians at that time and we're talking 1960s 1970s uh most of them were not career politicians, you know, they, they came from industry, they came from trades. Many didn't get into politics until they're in their forties. Do you think that the voting public and, and those who, who vote for populist candidates like, like Donald Trump, uh, they're just sick of career politicians? I mean, is that the big appeal of, of someone like Donald Trump?
0: Uh, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, it's just, I, I think in the first time around in 2016, that played a role. You know, people were sick of the career politicians, both on the right and the left, who appeared to have been only motivated by careerism. You know, just uh, feed their own um, uh, fortunes and not do anything for the people. Now, he used this very skillfully, you know, by by appearing, by acting as if he is the common man and all of that. Uh, I don't think people buy that anymore because, you know, it's so obvious that he is, not one of them. I mean, you know it's like even this kind of performative uh, announcement of his candidacy, from the empire, you know the 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 Trump hotel in in New York and everything, all this pompousness and all. Uh, but the problem is, I think that the other side, the left, is so detached from everything that we're discussing right now, that you know grab you know grasping these these kind of floating waters. And a good chunk of you know, ordinary conservatives, not Nazis, but conservatives who would like family values, you know, nuclear family, uh, respect of religion and all of that, we're losing them. We're not even speaking to them. I just saw an old, or maybe it's a new, a new tweet by Richard Dawkins, we wrote somewhere and he said, we're not even talking the same language. How can we debate mm-hmm. with these people yeah. talking about the woke? Uh, Left, I mean, criticizing the woke left, which is the case. I mean, uh, you might have heard about, you know, the New Statesman of all places commissioned an article to Richard Dawkins about sex and gender, and then it wasn't published for three months because the New Statesman staff objected to it. So they brought in uh, a psychoanalyst, Jacqueline Rose, to wrote about it. And I mean, it was the most ridiculous piece that I've read by an emeritus professor of psychoanalysis
1: in Birkbeck, by the way. That was the argument, you know. Uh, Shouldn't they instead have brought in some psychoanalysis psychoanalysis to work on the employees at the New Statesman, perhaps? like? Because if you're a lot of these people who who do this, like you know, I mean, we've got to keep, we've got to be, we've got to keep it one hundred, or Like we've got to be honest. Like you know, I, I am of the of the of, of the somewhat be kind thing as well. But let's face it, if this was someone in your family or if this was one of your friends and they were behaving this way, you would you would be speaking very plainly you if they, if this was one of your friends and they would they, they behave that way you'd say you would say plainly mate you'd say you are behaving like a tit you know you are yeah like you're speaking bullshit and just get with it and just wake up and what's 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 wrong but instead that that, that type of honesty has gone completely underground now we and, and now we're, we're we're left with this creepy bureaucracy uh with its own language with its own codes and ways of soviet ways of speaking and everything and and i find that that rubs so strange i mean that example of the new statesman that is just that is textbook that's that, i mean i hear that now and i go oh yeah but like you can set your watch to the apologies now like who, someone did one the other day like they oh, there did are, something there, you can find templates of apologies on google <laughs>
0: I've I've read it, I couldn't believe it, and then I went to, I mean, there's a wonderful, uh, amazing Atlantic article by Anne Applebaum called The New Puritans, found it and read it, you know, and there are templates, like, man, I mean, first of all, you shouldn't apologize to bullies. Rule number one, if you're Mm -hmm. being bullied, you don't, if you made a mistake, yes. Like when, you know, uh, uh, I mean, you know, if there's something that you did wrong, then of course you should apologize. But one, they're not interested in your apology. They want to finish you. And, and you, you know why, oh, John, I mean, one of the things that the reason that the honesty is dying is because people are scared. Uh, with Alan Sokal, we were discussing about this, you know, quoting Jonathan Rauch's book on, on the Constitution of Knowledge, He's, you know, one of the friends of Jonathan Hyde, the same circle. Um, what, what is the effect of these cancel campaigns on the onlookers? You know, because you can't cancel J.K. Rowling, Dave Chappelle, and they couldn't cancel me because, you know, I was big enough to survive and also I had, the, you know, the truth on my side. But the point is, like, what happens to other people? Now, what if this happens? Like, if I go, would I have the guts? to speak my mind everywhere about everything. Well, if I'm going to lose my job, I'm not so sure. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, writing this book was a suicidal act for so many people. But okay, I mean, I was, I, I, I tried to do it because I believe that if you don't fight now, like it will be too late. Uh, and, and that's the thing, yes, there is no honesty. And that's why I was so pissed off with my friends. Like, if I'm accused of something, of which I may be guilty, by the way. Why don't you just call me and say, did you do this? Did you harass someone? Did you make someone feel uncomfortable? And I say, let's just say, because we're friends and nobody's hearing, I say, yes. What he or she should say to me is, you're dumbass, you made a mistake, go and apologize, and don't ever come near me if you're going to behave the same way. That's what friendship's friends for, right? I mean. What is this thing of rushing to Twitter and then, well, your uh, David Swift told it, right? Why did not they go and work in a soup kitchen? Because nobody would see them.
1: Mm, it's all hard. about
0: performance. It's all about being seen. That's, the, that's why I keep on, I mean, one of the terms that, if you do find replace with, uh, on, the, on the manuscript, on, on your computer, individualism and narcissism. Narcissism is the worst problem. Me, I, I matter, you know? I am with woman, I am this, I am that. that that's the kind of, there's nothing wrong with individualism. I'm not saying this is wrong, but when you, when you impose, when you dictate your subjective perceptions on not only a couple of people, but on the rest of the whole population and on politics, then we are in the realm of authoritarianism.
2: We also see corporations jump on this, too, though. Of you course. know like so you know in recent times, uh, the the one that comes to mind for me, the most recent one is the Bud Light campaign featuring Dylan Mulvaney, which created a bit of a storm. But you know, ha- how much of a problem is the commodification of, of of identity you know is is it just big companies that are jumping on this or or do you think even like like painfully straight people who put their pronouns
0: in their twitter handle you know are they guilty of this commodification one of the things that i tried to find an answer to is why and when and how this started okay i mean the transformation Usually, it goes. I mean, if you look at Google Trends and various things, you can trace the origins of this transformation uh, to 2015-17, when Generation Z became the only generation uh, in in university campuses. Now, obviously, the beginnings of it go back to 1990s, the queer theory, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Judith Butler, perhaps the first, you know, the original, uh, but then. You know, this is the thing, but but then, okay, let's just put a, if we put a date on it, but how did it become so um, dominant, hegemonic? Well, it's because of the profit, you know? I mean, there's big pharma behind it. The puberty blockers is a huge market. The surgeons, aesthetic surgeries of mastectomies and this and that, and these are all complicated uh, surgeries which require lifetime medica- medication and control. Then, of course, you know companies jumping on the opportunity to use Dylan Mulvaney to, to, to promote uh, uh, something, um, and, and, and all of these things. I've just recently, maybe you haven't seen that, maybe you can share a link in your podcast. Uh, I've, ri- I've written a, a piece on luxury politics and the commodification of the left to the critique, uh, based on a campaign of Gucci, using Judith Butler's book "Gender Bodies That Matter," uh, you know, it's 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 amazing because when I saw this in 2021, Gucci does a campaign. It's called the Aria campaign. Uh, on uh, on it's a Christmas campaign of of a specific kind of um, uh, brand of products they uh, it's it's about you know amorphousness it's about desire etc etc and the way this they're using uh, the books by baudelaire butler and simon de beauvoir now there, there are two things here first of all baudelaire and simon de beauvoir you might use it but i don't think you can use Judith butler's book without paying copyright in in an ad by gucci okay and the whole campaign is based on erotization and sexualization of desire. That's the whole thing. I can't even quote it because it's too complicated. Um, And so what? I mean, is this this how? I mean, this is the thing. And then I'm looking at the origins of identity politics, chapter 3. I mean, you know the people who invented identity politics, the term identity politics, and practiced this. Uh, First, the Combahee River Collective, the black feminist, lesbian activists, Barbara Smith, Beverly Smith, and Demita Fraser. Two of them are unemployed. One of them is living on scholarships, working around. They are the ones who invented the term identity politics. And what they were doing, they were writing in 1977, they said how they were cooperating with, going back to the example of the Washington March, they said they were working together with pro-life white women, they were working with third world immigrants because they were internationalists. They wanted to protect women, women's rights. And for that, now they use identity in a very specific sense. They said that they felt discriminated as lesbians and as women of color, of course, but they didn't base the whole politic on that. you know. Whereas today, and that's you know, the term that I use in the book, for them, Identity politics was about politics. For today's left, identity politics is about identity. And identity is sacred. It's beyond politics. Like, honesty, you know, don't be a tit. How how can you, John? How can you even say this to to a friend of yours or your partner? This is domestic abuse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, do you know how many people have lost their jobs? For, for doing such things. Uh, I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying that people should use hate, uh, should refer to hate crime or incite to violence and all of that. I did start, I did also use the example of Capitol Hill rights, but that right shows something else. The Nazi question that you mentioned, it's, it's as if they want to see Nazis. Now, there's only one uh, academic study part uh, research done on uh, Capitol Hill rioters, on the people who are actually arrested, okay? They're not white supremacist groups. 80% of them, so more than two thirds of them, are normal people, middle class, CEOs, dentists, doctors, and all of that, okay? So what motivates these people? Are, are all of them Nazis? Like, I mean, Jason Stanley was here in Barcelona a couple of years ago and I thought highly of him back then before I see his tweeting and all of that. And it's like, it's the, the world is like, the, it's so easy. The, the whole thing is so us and them, you know. Vox was was making gains, the far-right party in Spain and all of that. So Vox are Nazis, but Vox leaders may be Nazis, Francois and all of that. But three million people voted for these people. Are you telling me that three million people who voted for different parties before 2018 have become Nazis overnight? I think one reason why the left wants to see these bad guys
2: everywhere is that, is that it means we need more DEI training, you know. So,
0: and, and well, they you, wanna, you've written about. Yeah, they don't want to understand. They don't want to talk. They don't want to listen but but they also want they also want to charge you $60,000 to Exactly, you Robin some D'Angelo and Brian Candy. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, you you've actually done some interesting stuff here. I mean, what what did you find out about these programs in in your research? I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's, do they it's, work? it's
0: it's scientifically proven that they are not only not work, they're counterproductive. I mean, uh I'll I'll just actually let me see if I I can find that um uh the part on and, and there are five reasons for that that I quoted. This is just you know a straight uh, quotation from from that research, from that particular research. Um why uh DI training doesn't work, basically. Uh, I think it was in chapter three. And by the way, you know, in the to fill in the blank, <laughs> you can just tell me what you think about my book as bona fide liberals, I think.
1: I loved your book. I, I, I thought it was fantastic, and and so, uh, again, challenging. And because I've read read a lot of books in this space uh, the last couple of years, and yours stands alone. And, I, and I'm always most fascinated by the books uh, from a left perspective. And um, yes, I thought that the, the contributions were were plain. You know what I mean. Uh, and I, I I just think everyone should should really check this out and start to think about where they sit. On this spectrum you know what i mean and um start to see through the narratives a bit
0: yeah this is from uh this is from chapter three page 79 of the book and this is this is on paraphrasing the findings of the most comprehensive research on the AI training, train uh which spans a lot of institutions um uh the, the findings are simply why they don't work because they've established that they don't work first Short-term interventions, in general, do not change people. I mean, not a huge surprise, I think. Second, anti-bias training may activate stereotypes, so it actually reproduces stereotypes. Black, white, you know, it makes you more aware of your own identity in a way that you were not before. Third, training inspires unrealistic confidence in anti-discrimination programs, DI training, that uh, things can be fixed quickly. I call, pay $60,000 to Robin D'Angelo, two, two days of workshop, and it's done. Four, this training may leave whites feeling left out. And five, uh, people in general, and that's a psychological finding, react negatively to, to the efforts to control them. Now, going back to the question that you asked me in the beginning, one of the reasons that I kind of, you know, took the effort of writing this book was because I was radicalized as a left wing, progressive person. You know, people are telling me that I should do certain things. And if I don't do them, I'm a bigot, far-right enabler, uh, fascist, Nazi, genocidal guy with genocidal instincts and all of that. And, and, and you know, I've never bought to authority in my life for, for 53 years and I'm not gonna start doing it now.
2: Well in, in the short time that that that, that we still have you uh, I wanted to get your take on what 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 do you think of the the kind of strange alliances we've been seeing recently between sections of the traditional left let's say the the gender critical women and and the right you know we, we've spoken to a lot of gender critical feminists and yeah there seems to be a coming together of of the left and right in this regard
0: like how do you think that's going to pan out um Now, there are two different questions here because the final question, how this is going to pan out, is a different question than the first one. I actually think, and I told this to Julie Bindal in her podcast, I actually think that this is a healthy thing, like that they can discuss among themselves. This is the true left, you know? There are people who are actually taking money from the right or who are producing some discourses that are, I would say, very, you know, dangerously close to transphobia. A good example is, of course, the KJK Posse Parker uh, situation that you went through in Australia and New Zealand as well. Uh, And some organizations which, uh, I mean, okay, they they do good work uh, in Britain, for instance, Sex Matters and a couple of others, but the, the money, the sources of the money probably is not coming people from the best intentions. But the point is the left, the feminists, were able to discuss this. So this is healthy. At least they were having a debate. Now how this is going to pan out? I would firmly stay on the side of the liberal progressive camp and not go on to the right. And But I think this is, uh, I see those people who are right now cozying up or getting closer to the right as my target audience actually. Because I'm not gonna change the mind of convicted cultists either on the left, the woke, or on the right, you know, the populists and all of that. But there is a huge, huge group of people in the middle who wouldn't want to go to <clears throat> to those lengths. <clears throat> so I would fight with the feminists, <clears throat> sorry for that, uh, and try to tell them that, look, I mean, you're not to blame for Nazis attending your your mm, demonstration and, and raising their fists. That's bullshit, you know, that's something that uh, or people like Owen Jones wants to use against uh, gender critical feminists. But having money from them is something that might skew your politics in the in the future because some of the people that you're taking money from don't want female or women to be freed. They want them to be confined back to their homes, to, uh, you know, no more traditional relationships. I'm sure things that you've talked on with Louise Perry and a couple of other people. I do see some dangerous trends. Uh, one is one one that is clear uh, much closer to my own area of expertise is this new national conservatism uh, trend uh, that uh, was established by Yoram Hazoni uh, with uh, pro-Israeli money, and it's growing, and growing, and 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 absorbing more and more people. Eric is a very active part of it. Uh, uh, but see, this is this is the difference. Eric and I are completely on the on different sides of the political spectrum, but we don't block each other. We still speak. Because you know, am I going to change his mind now? Is he going to change his my mind? No. But at least we speak. And imagine that there are so many people on the gender critical side and all, all, all see these kind of nonsense about all of these things. Um, I would recommend the book to your. I mean, you know, it's it's out like a couple of days ago. A, a great summary of the debate on gender wars, sex, and gender uh, by Alice Sullivan and Selina Todd, two of two former canceled canceled GC critical feminists. Uh, it's 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 a really good summary of of this whole debate on on all sides, and it has representation from all sides of the political spectrum. It's a good book, and, and I mean, I'm learning a lot from it. And, and it calls, it issues a call to, which is what I try to do. We need to come back to our senses. I mean, we can't call women menstruators.
1: <laughs> Chest uh,
0: faders. Simple as that. Uh, mm-hmm. Does that make me right? No, I'm sorry. Your insistence of calling women menstruators uh, cervix is reactionary not my reaction to that so you guys are not reactionary in my view because you're talking to all sides whatever your political beliefs are
1: well we're very easily swayed uh, by charm umet. uh we we've saved the um the 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 la- the best question till last now this is the, really the big one and you're gonna have to try and answer it succinctly uh what does the left need to do to reform itself
0: uh just remember what it was, look at the past, revisit the old theories and all of that, that that were, and I'm not talking about here Marx and, and all of that. You know, you've done a great program with Ashley Rowley, people can go and listen to these. I'm not saying this, but, but remember how, what the left was like just in the last decade of the 20th century and read the stories that I tell in my book from their original sources, the black feminist activists. I'm not talking about Black Lives Matters. their ancestors, you know, those who were, and that's the second thing that I would suggest, you know, get back to reality, you know, have, have, stay in contact with real lives of real people. And three, and that's the most important thing, and that's how I finish my book, listen, listen to people, I mean, one, the best example of that is also mentioned in the last uh, chapter of the book, I'll be quick, Ali Russell Hochschild's great book, Strangers in Their Own Land, a Berkeley left-wing liberal professor who goes to Louisville to work on Tea Party waters, stays there for five years, lives there for five years, and, and, and ends up understanding She was the one of, I mean, she cited among the three, I don't remember the other two, but she was quoted in the New York Times among the three people who foresaw Trump's victory in 2016 because the book was published before Trump was elected, a couple of months before. She saw it because she lived with the people in Louisville. That's what we need to do. Uh, And I mean, you know, just for saying this, I'm considered by my former woke friends, as being right-wing and that is the second part detached from reality they live in an alternative universe
1: if it, 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 it's ludicrous it, you, you, you know you're plainly i mean i don't like to throw labels around Umit, but you are plainly on the left
0: look i'm a liberal of course because you know political liberalism freedom of speech academic freedom this is this is like this is this is a big like 101 i mean you can't be on the public arena and not be a liberal okay that's one thing but secondly i believe in equality economically speaking and that makes me yeah more on the left now i'm not talking about the socialist revolution it's not realistic anymore but i lived in sweden where you know the state covered all my and still in spain all my health expenses uh you know if i if i go to emergency everything is covered my son who received, uh, I mean, I know that he received a treatment worth millions of euros, and the Swedish state paid for it to save his life in, a, in an illness which had 50% prognosis. Now that is the progressiveness that I understand from. Imagine doing, I'm, I'm in the Facebook group with cancer families. They are begging people to, for crowdfunding to be able to, to treat their own kids who suffer from the similar disease. So that's the left that i am okay so it's not it's not the you know that's the problem we've thing. got the same
1: but it's funny you should say because the we've got the same system here in in australia like and it's so funny even if you even if you are a conservative and you vote that way here you still are voting for medicare you're still voting for i cannot explain our our medical system to americans they just don't get it i'm just like imagine you don't have to worry about like medical stuff anymore imagine exactly. that. yeah
0: know? i mean you know it's just it's 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 automatic i mean as a european citizen i came from sweden to spain for a year i was considered as a swedish citizen here but i had the same rights as spanish citizens then i changed my address and everything you know i, I wherever i go i receive healthcare, uh, social insurance you know benefits pensions and all in some places better than others but i mean in the us kids are dying in front of our eyes uh in the uk too because of the the other uh side effects of neoliberalism the nhs is not able to you know to take care of these people um so what makes me a left wing person is economy is my view about immigration for instance but here there too like i'm not all open borders and all of that no i've seen that too i mean Immigration is also a huge problem that needs to be tackled in a very kind of complicated, sophisticated and, and sensible manner, because resources are scarce. We know that. Uh, so, so lots of things to. But, but, but yeah, I mean, we need reality. I mean, like someone needs to take the red pill maybe and wake up, but it's not us. It's the woke left, which needs to take the red pill because they are the ones who are living in the matrix. Not that. No, we're not in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, I'm not sure which side is better, but yeah. At least it's That's real. Right.
1: kind of wish, I wish I was woken, right? Like, do you know, my life would be so much easier. I, oh, I, like, I could write a film and it would get funded. I could, I would just go to any party. But you wouldn't write the kind of film you want to write, though. Yeah, but I still it wouldn't matter. Like, And then I could go to any party and I could just say nonsense and people, you know. Whereas now I have to go to these things and I have to be quiet. Can't talk about the podcast, you know?
0: Well, don't be. <laughs> see, we are increasing. Like, see, in the last year, several books have been published from within the left. You interviewed some of them. There's Kenan Malik. There is Olufemi Taiwo. These are all left-wing critics of identity politics. There's a lot of, I mean, there... Uh, Pan-America uh, did a wonderful report on uh, the sensitivity readers and all that crap, and Pan-America is very reliable because they are the ones who, who, who uh, documented anti-critical race theory, uh, right-wing thing. They called it booklash, uh, this, this woke trend of banning books, you know, it's because it's misgenders people and all of that. We need to cry, create a wokelash.
1: Yes. Mm.
0: Okay, I uh, let's. I I never thought of this until now. So <laughs> I'll keep it here. Uh, we, should, we should call. I like, it a I like, that, term. I like that term. Yeah, yeah really I mean, let's topic. let's let's do a work clash, and 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 I mean, you know, reclaim the progressive values. We don't have to agree on everything, but let's just agree that there are other problems that we look. Healthcare. Does anyone in this? Uh, whatever <laughs> podcast agree that everybody should have free access to healthcare to the extent that this is possible. No, are we on the same political camp? No. Simple is that. There are certain values that are that stem from us being human. But then we are talking about oh, human rights is a European colonial uh, tool for dominating. Oh my God, you know.
1: Norman Finkelstein would said quite simply, he put it really. Uh, Bluntly, he just said, cut the shit. He did, yeah. That's just There's important work to do, you know? Seriously,
0: seriously that, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and I mean, I'm trying to do that. Yes, mainstream outlets are ignoring me, uh, fine. But I mean, my book is still selling. I'm still being discovered by more and more people. So, you know, it's, it's a small step, but it's a step forward. And what you're doing is too, by the way. Uh, I'm, not saying this, I'm not saying this because you invited me, guys. I've listened to four or five of, <laughs> four or five of your I podcasts, went. okay? I, I didn't know of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, un- unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up, but we do have a final question that, that we do ask all of our guests, and we'd like to know what you're reading right now.
0: Um, right now, I'm reading that book that I talked to you about, actually, Sex and Gender. Uh, it's the edited collection by uh, Alice Sullivan and Selena Todd. Uh, At the same time, uh, I will start reading because I haven't read that book, but it's, I just bought it, uh, Alan Sokal's 2008 book, uh, After the Hoax, you know, Uh, he revisited the hoax after 20, like 10, 20 years uh, and wrote his, you know, impressions 10 years from then. So these are the two books that I'll be reading
1: fantastic always great to get recommendations so how, how can people find you online or I mean, how can people follow your work
0: I have my website which is uh, myname.com umutoskirmu.com and then I'm on twitter ooh, uh, and on instagram tiktok wherever you have oh sorry it wasn't twitter right they changed their pronouns x
1: <laughs> Oh, <laughs> X. are
0: we supposed to be calling it x because I, I have not heard I'm anyone not, use. I'm it not BBC makes me laugh every morning because they have to write the whole sentence. Twitter, formerly known, uh, uh, sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. It's like, you know, the yes. second prince moment of our lives.
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's formerly known as. Yeah. Well, the book, the book is cancelled, uh, The Left Way Back from work. It's fantastic. Uh, and just get it and read it.
0: Well, thank you it. for having me, by the way.
1: Thanks so much, Ahmed. That was an absolute uh, pleasure.
2: Thank you for listening to The New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live The New Flesh.